you would open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Psalms. We're going to look at a psalm in just a moment. It's in the 40th chapter. While you're turning there, I want to tell you about a, an event in my life when I was a child, probably 13 or 14 years old, sitting around the dinner table and having one of those dinner time conversations, which for me was more of a come to Jesus meeting, and I wasn't Jesus, my dad was laying down the law for me. And he was a strict disciplinarian. If he were alive today, he'd be 83 years old. So his parents were of the generation that knew nothing about permissive parenting. His generation really knew very little of it. Most of them were relatively strict. I think that combined with the fact that he spent four years in the Air Force. He trained German shepherds. He was in the military police. So all of that contributed to a relatively strict upbringing. But on this particular occasion, my dad told me what I was going to do. He told me, these are the things you're going to do. <laughs> and I remember looking at him, and I said, to my regret, I'll do what you tell me, but I'm not going to like it. <laughs> well, I guess my dad thought I was maybe beyond the rod of discipline, the belt, but that wasn't the only weapon that he had in his disciplinarian arsenal. My dad was really good at thumping. He could have, he could have shattered a cement block with a thump. And I didn't see it coming because I looked away after I told him that I wasn't going to like doing what he wanted me to do. And he gave me one of those head thumps, you know, the kind that you, your ears are ringing afterward, or maybe you've never experienced that. I didn't get many of those, but I got one that time. And then he looked at me and he said, you better like doing what I tell you to do. Well, I tell you that story to say this. I think there was a lot of truth communicated in, in his statement that I came later to see as being important, not just in my relationship with him, but in my relationship with God. There's a difference between doing what you know you're supposed to do and actually enjoying doing the right thing. Now, in this particular psalm, the 40th chapter of the book of Psalms in verse 8, there is the statement made by the psalmist, I delight to do your will, oh my God, your law is within my heart. Now, think about what the psalmist is telling us. He's not only telling us that he is committed to doing the will of God. But he's telling us, I delight to do your will. Whatever it is that God would expect of this psalmist, whatever this psalmist, whatever this, this David would be called upon to do, he was not only committed to doing it, but he was going to take delight in it. Now, if I were to ask the question, which I do ask this morning, do you delight in doing the will of God. Well, you've either not thought about it 
or you're not thinking enough about it and you're immediately saying, well, sure, I delight in doing the will of God. Who wouldn't? It's the will of God. Shouldn't I delight in doing God's will? I should, and I do. But do you really? That's the question I ask myself after reading this psalm. I can tell you that I delight in doing the will of God, but I'm kind of like that teenage boy who was sitting at the dinner table who told his father, I'll do what you tell me to do, but I'm not going to like it. You see, that's a great challenge, isn't it? You think about everything that God expects of us. Well, sometimes there's obligations and responsibilities that we have as Christians. We have this sense of obligation, this sense of responsibility, and we do it, but in our minds, <coughs> we, really don't, we really don't like it. It's not something that we take delight in. Do you see that as being a problem? If it's me, I see it as being a problem because what that says is my relationship with my father needs some work. You see, I need to think more about what God has done for me. I need to think, I should have thought as, as, as a young teenage boy, which most teenagers were just not there yet, I should have thought about how that father put that food on that table that I was eating. I know he thought about it. <laughs> I should have thought about how that father clothed me and how he gave me security and how he, he provided for me and how he had my best interest at heart. Every time he laid down the law and told me something that I needed to be doing, he was thinking about what was best for me. But I wasn't thinking that. I was just thinking about how I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to like it. Well, as I mature as a child of God, and I don't think we're there when we first obey the gospel. But as I, as I mature as a child of God, I think more about what God has done for me. I think about, as a father, what it would be like to give your only begotten son on behalf of those who are undeserving of that sacrifice. I think about, as, as a son, a father who has given me everything I need, and even more. He's blessed my life. He has made provision for me, and he, even more so than physical provision, he has made spiritual provision. If I really get to know that God, then I can bring myself to the point where I can pray to God, and I can express to God the sentiment, I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. And I think that's key too, isn't it? We put God's law into our heart. We make it a part of who we are. And then we find the strength to delight in that law because we understand it. I want to just challenge you with, uh, with three questions that are subordinate to this primary question, do you delight in doing the will of God? Because I think sometimes there's areas where maybe we act more out of a sense of obligation and we don't find delight like we should. And these are all encompassing. The first one is, do you delight in being submissive? Well, think about what submissiveness means. It means that you submit to the will of someone else. It means that there, there is this, this law, this requirement, this, this expectation that is set forth by somebody else, and you submit to it. Well, think about how many times you've, you've submitted... We'll talk about law for just a minute. Minute. Think about how many times you've submitted to a law of the land, but you really didn't like it. 
you didn't take delight in the keeping of that law. Well, the Bible points us in the direction of having submissive spirits. Just a couple of examples here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. That's important. For the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right, for such is, look at this, such is the will of God. This is God's will that we submit to the governing authorities. The question then is, do you take delight in it? Well, I may take delight when it's something I don't mind doing. Let's talk about taxes. Do you take delight in paying taxes? Let's talk about the speed limit when you're in a hurry. Assuming that you're keeping the speed limit, do you take delight in it? Do you see the point? Well, and, and, and maybe God's law is different from man's law, but man's law becomes God's law as long as it doesn't bring us into conflict with the requirements of God in the statement, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And he gives us a reason for that, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. God has a motive. God has a reason why he tells us to do certain things. My dad had a reason why he told me to do things that I didn't really like doing. He had a reason. It wasn't just to make my life miserable. There is a grander plan in the mind of God when he gives us his commandments. And if we know that God, if we have a relationship with that God, then we can find delight in doing whatever it is that he tells us to do. Let's look at another example in chapter 3 here. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Well, do you always like that? There may be times when that's more difficult than at others. But look at the reason. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. You see, the submissive spirit is a spirit that is teaching. It is teaching others. And when I understand that I am teaching that which is God's will by my submissive spirit, and I'm doing it with the purpose of God in mind, I can find delight in doing that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, we are to submit to one another. Christians are to submit to other Christians. It's not always about me getting my way. It's not always me being selfish and acting purely out of my own self-interest. And, and, and whether we admit it or not, I think sometimes we need to examine our behavior and our actions and ask, my, ask ourselves, are we really thinking about others when we do certain things? A submissive spirit goes through that thought process and then submits and takes delight in it because that person knows that it's God's will. Another area that is specifically addressed in Scripture, and it's a, it's a, it's a brush that, that paints a very broad stroke, a very uh, large picture, and that is sanctification. And sanctification simply means to be set apart. 
When you become a child of God, you are set apart by virtue of the operation of God, of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You are set apart by virtue of that relationship, but then there, there is the expectation that you're going to be different. That's what sanctification means. It means to be different. It means that you're not going to be like other people. You're not going to be like people who don't care about God. You're going to be concerned about doing things that God wants you to do because you have that relationship with your Father. This is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And the specific application here is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Well, that's only one way that we can be set apart, and that is to avoid sexual sin. But that touches every area of life that is this matter of being sanctified or being different. Now, we talk about peer pressure, and peer pressure affects us differently at different points in life, but it never goes away. You know, it's not something that just magically disappears when, when you turn 20. You're no longer a teenager. Well, peer pressure just, just went away. No, peer pressure will continue. You know, keeping up with the Joneses doesn't end when you turn 20 years old. There's always this peer pressure to be like everybody else, to be accepted by society, to be accepted by other people, to have my social media influence and place where I'm just popular. Well, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> when you're a child of God, that can't be the driving force in your life. You're going to be different. The Bible says so many things about that difference, about that distinctive lifestyle, about a difference in speech, a difference in focus as far as what's on the outside. We focus more on what's on the inside. We speak words that are going to encourage and, and not tear down. We go to work and, and we're going to give it our best, whether we need to or not, even if we're just working because we enjoy work. We're going to be different. We're going to be set apart. We're not going to march to the beat of the world's drum. We're not going to be concerned about what everybody else is thinking because our concern is to delight in the will of God. And it is His will that we be sanctified. Paul writes about walking after the Spirit in Romans chapter 6, but he combines that thought with this concept of sanctification. You'll notice in verse 19, Romans chapter 6, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves, that's the members of your body, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Do you delight in your sanctification? Do you delight in taking the road less traveled. Verse 22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. You see, you pull back the curtain. You look into the spiritual realm just like being submissive. You may think you don't like being submissive. You may think you don't like being different, but if you look at the big picture and you see where that's going to take you, when you see God's purpose for your life in being submissive and in being sanctified, now you can delight. 
in doing the will of God. And then the final area that I would address here is eternal salvation. This, this would seem to be a no-brainer. Do you delight in eternal salvation? Well, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I delight in being saved forever? Well, if, if Christianity becomes a burden, if it becomes a continuous struggle, if, if you're not saying it, but at least in your mind and in your conduct and your behavior, God, I know you want me to do this. I'm going to do it because I know you, like, you want me to do it, but I'm not going to like it. Well, there's a big thump coming <laughs> if that's your attitude, isn't there? It's an eternal thump. I need to learn to delight in eternal salvation. Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 11. The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think, verse 12? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains? And he goes and he searches for the one that is straying. If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Well, the opposite the will of the Father is that everybody be saved. The will of the Father is that I be saved, that I do everything within my, my power to work out my salvation with fear and with trembling, to study His Word, to pray, to seek to be a, a light in a world of darkness, to be the salt of the earth, to be an encouragement to others, to build up brothers and sisters in Christ, to spend time with them, to look at all those one another verses of Scripture that cannot be fulfilled outside of a relationship with a local church. And I'm going to take delight. I'm not going to offer to God the minimum level of acceptable service. I'm going to, I'm going to give Him everything. I'm going to go that extra mile in this context. I'm not going to cause a brother or sister to stumble by my behavior. I want to, I want to be the person that God wants not only me, but them to become. Let's think about if we had suddenly 10 new converts in this congregation. 10 new Christians. If they followed your example, what kind of Christian would they become? And everybody offers a different example. But if they followed your example, what kind of Christian would they become? Well, if we had 10 new converts, they're going to be looking around. They're going to be looking at your example. And they're going to be inclined to follow it. You see, you can't exist in that what I do doesn't matter zone. <laughs> that zone does not exist. And when I delight in salvation, I'm going to look at salvation from as many different angles, from as many different perspectives as I possibly possibly can because I know that that's something that God wills. It is His will that men be saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 when Paul was writing to the church to, to the uh, evangelist who was working among different churches and he was writing to him about the need 
to pray for those in positions of authority, the need to pray for government officials, he gives us the reason why. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 3, verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is God's will. God desires, he wants everyone to be saved. Do I delight in that? Is his will my will, and do I act accordingly? You see, I can't be. I can't be like that young teenage boy who looked at his father and said, I'll do what you told me, but I'm not going to like it. He taught me a long time ago. That's just not a good way to think. <laughs> and now I want to be like the psalmist who looks at God's will, every aspect of it, and says, I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. These thoughts are yours. Let's go to God now in prayer.